All right, everyone. Welcome to Magnifying God. I'm your host, Adam Michael. And honestly, we're picking up right with the series that we left off with. This series is unpacking Prepare to Overcome, the book Prepare to Overcome. And we're going to knock out the first section, which actually was made into a workbook prior to Prepare to Overcome's release. So it started out kind of as a workbook, and then it just grew into an actual full-blown book called Prepare to Overcome. And we knocked out the first chapter, which uh, the first chapter and the second chapter. And uh, the, the first chapter was about rebuilding the walls, rebuilding the walls. And uh, the second chapter was the kingdom of God. So now we're moving on to the third chapter. And that chapter is called repentance. Now, I know a lot of people think, okay, repentance, you know, you're turning away from sin. That's what repentance means. Okay. And we move on. There's a lot more that goes into repentance that a lot of people think. Um, so like we start with uh, Mark uh, chapter 1, verse 15. It says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Okay, so the kingdom of God is at hand. The king's governments, the king's domain is at hand, is tangible, is happening right now. Jesus is reigning through his people. That's what the kingdom of God is. It's whatever's in heaven should be reigning in us. It's heaven getting into us and then coming out of us for the whole world to see. And then if you continue on with that Mark chapter 1, verse 15, it says, repent. So it says, the kingdom of God is at hand and it's tangible and repent and believe in the gospel. Believe in the good news. But that repentance there so you've got the kingdom of God. His government is reigning right now. We need to repent. We need to change the way we're thinking in order for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I'm on the first page of the workbook. The workbook is uh, preparing the saints. And uh, that workbook, if you're looking at, I'm looking at this picture right now. I've got a pawn here who is staring at the king. And that's where our eyes always need to be focused on him, not on ourselves. The focus is on him and him alone, him and his kingdom and, and how he thinks and how he acts. If we've been given the mind of Christ, we need to function from that mind. Repentance is so important, is so important. Uh, if you even go back to uh, the Sermon on the Mount, you have Jesus saying, you have been told. So yes, we all have been told a way of thinking, a way of reacting to things. And then Jesus says, but I say this. So you've got, you know, let's say the kingdom of darkness way of thinking, and then the kingdom of light. We've all been homeschooled in the wrong home. Now we need to repent from that thought process, and we need to take the mind of Christ, which is what we've been given, and we need to function out of that mindset. See, Christianity isn't a series of do's and don'ts. That's religion. It's a lifestyle. It's a mind renewal, which is what we're going to talk about today. I mean, and that's in specific, specifically Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It talks about the renewing of the mind, and we are going to dive uh, into that uh, a little later today. But uh, first, 
I want to kick us off. We've got Debbie Simpson uh, on the line today, and she is a co-author of this book uh, called Preparing the Saints, and she's going to talk to us uh, briefly about um, what repentance actually is. What repentance actually is. Uh, Debbie, with us? Yes, I am, Adam. Thank you. All right. So, uh, yeah, repentance. Uh, that's what we're on today. It's a chapter three. Uh, feel free to um, kind of give us your take on, on repentance. Well, thank you. Yes, I'd love to do that. And I appreciate what you brought in with the Gospel of Mark, with chapter one. But um, in addition to that, we also saw the introduction in the book of Matthew, chapter three, verse two. And I'll read that real quick. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 3, for this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So what we're seeing here is that repentance was first introduced in these Gospels, we saw it in Mark and again here in Matthew, with the proclamation of the kingdom of God, because it is how the way of the Lord is made ready. It's how his path is made straight. See, what's being revealed is that even as you said, I'm going to say the same thing in a different way, Adam. What is being revealed is that the pre-existing mindset, the beliefs in place before repentance, repentance is a change of mind. It's a change of direction. It's turning away from something or it's a turning to something. That's the definition of repentance. And the beliefs that are in place before repentance are in conflict with this new kingdom that is coming. And that is why the need for repentance, a change of mind, is, um, is the reason that or the way that this kingdom that was coming and now is, is made manifest. I'd also like to to continue with this whole idea of repentance and its definition is going to Zechariah chapter 1, verse 3. And again, the whole context of the book of Zechariah is in that day. And I think that it's been made pretty clear that, you know, the springboard of motivation for all of these studies is that we have recognized the times that we're in. We are in that day. So we go and we see in the book of Zechariah 1.3, states this, Therefore, says the Lord God, say to them, Thus does the Lord of hosts, return to me, declares the Lord of hosts, that I may return to you. That word return is the exact same definition, a turning away or a turning towards. However, the connotation in this book is extremely interesting. It's basically when the when this term is used in reference to returning, it is not necessarily a turning from sin or a turning to God. The point is not sin. Rather, the point is returning to the God given power to redirect one's destiny. That's the connotation here, that in returning, in turning you know, to the Lord, the focus, again, is not sin. And I really liked what you said, Adam, that 
we have a very narrow understanding. We think repentance is I'm repenting from my sin so I can get saved and go to heaven. That is a piece of the puzzle, but it is a very small slice, and therefore the picture is incomplete if we do not understand that repentance, really the focus is not sin. The focus is always the Lord, and when we return or turn to him, many things happen. We're seeing in the Gospels, it is the means by which the kingdom of heaven can be brought in through the life of the believer, and also part of that is it helps to redirect one's destiny, which I do believe becomes pretty much evident as that piece gets plugged into everything that we have been talking about and sharing. One of the things that I would like to say is that as we go through this, one of the things I like to make clear what I'm sharing with people is that nothing that I say is my opinion on the matter. And if it is my opinion, I will preface it. This is my opinion. My opinion doesn't amount to hill of beans. There's a million people out there, and every person has an opinion. There's a million opinions. Nobody needs another opinion. The only opinion that really matters is God. So as we go through this, we're looking at God's word. We are identifying key phrases, key words. We're looking into their definitions, and we are establishing in these podcasts And as we have penned these words and these books as God has directed, God's word with God's definition to get God's opinion on the matter, because at the end of the day, that's the only one that matters. So that being said, this whole idea of returning, so we see that the call to turn from our, it's a call to turn from our own understanding and to turn to God's understanding. And in so doing, reclaim our God-given destiny. This is by definition. We know, and this is the other thing that, too, I'd like to address, that Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. It is also well known, and no one would argue this, that Satan is the great counterfeiter. He counterfeits everything God does. He can, and he does very often, offer believers a counterfeit destiny. And if we do not know this, we're going to skip happily down this road, assuming this destiny is of God, when it's a counterfeit destiny. In his call to repentance, God offers the remedy for and the protection from a believer's falling prey to Satan's lie as a renewed mind, which comes from repentance, by the way, will recognize that which is not of God. So those are just some of the things that, as we were going into this, I was becoming more and more aware of. And I know that you had mentioned something about Romans 12, too, and I was going to ask you if you could expound on that, because this whole renewed mind, you know, that helps us be protected from Satan's lies and deception so that we can reclaim our destiny through repentance. What? Adam, what were you talking about with regards to that, re- that was it Romans 12.2 you were re- referencing? Yeah, uh, in Romans 12.2, uh, it states this. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, I mean, 
right there, I mean, that, that verse is, a lot of people throw it around. And, but if we really take it in context, do not be conformed to this world, okay? You are to be pottered by God himself. That's it. God himself. He's the one who made you. He's the one who created you. He's the one who died for you. And he's the one who breathed life into you. And he's the one who sent the Holy Spirit to empower you. He is the one who did everything in you, in your life. Everything good, everything good came from him. And that's why it says, do not be conformed to this world. Okay. You were never made for this world. You were made for him. That's why we're call called to deny ourselves and to be alive in Christ. We're to deny ourselves because this world is fading away. So we need to literally get out of this kingdom, this, this kingdom that we were born into, unfortunately, uh, due to the fall. And now, though, we our residence is the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of darkness. It's the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light. So that mindset that we have to have, we cannot be conformed to that, to that uh, other world, that, that world of darkness. Um, and, and all of its passions. And that's why I said, crucify the flesh. All right. Get rid of it. Get those thought processes out of your head, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So this transformation, that word transformation is metamorpho, which is the word we get metamorphosis. On top of that, the transfiguration and transform are the same Greek word. So when Jesus was transformed, Formed or transfiguration, we saw the transfiguration, he was transformed. Well, that's what we're supposed to do to our minds. And, and that's why it's so important that we are always constantly seeking him, having our eyes focused at him, so that we start looking like the potter who is pottering us, who is molding us into the very image uh, that he wants us to be in. And it's so important, too. That image is Christ. But if we are withholding from him, if we think we're going to do our own thing, that's going apart from the will of God. Because a lot of people are like, well, if it's the will of God, if it's your will, Lord. The, the problem, though, with that statement is if we continue on the same verse, it says that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God. So what happens is you start walking this walk, walking this path, and you start going through things, and you start hearing the voice of the Lord who's guiding you. And then when, let's say, you start, let's say, maybe you go off and do your own thing, the Lord brings you back, and he's starting to teach you his will and teach you um, the very person of who the Holy Spirit is, who's talking to you and speaking to you and speaking through you and empowering you. So then you start building this relationship up that when, let's say, something that is um, deceitful comes in or strange, like the stranger's voice, we can be like, no, 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 that is strange. I hear the good shepherd's voice. I hear his voice. The sheep hear his voice and they flock towards him. And that's the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. The problem, though, is if we're not taught to learn the shepherd's voice, we'll fall prey to, unfortunately, the stranger's voice and the stranger's way of thinking. And we'll think, and like I said, like what you said, actually, it may appear to be good. I remember starting a ministry uh, for God, and I'll, I'll say for God, I'll put that in quotes, um, because I'm like, oh, this is for him. 
it was unfortunately unfruitful. And it's like, well, I go back to the Lord and I'm like, Lord, why, why did this not work? And he's like, I never told you to do it. So you wasted countless hours doing something I never instructed you to do. And that can be every day of our lives. We need to be seeking him with all that we are and being, okay, Lord, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to be doing this. I'm going to be doing that. Like, um, I want to be doing it with you, not for you. And uh, it's so important that we do that. I mean, and that's why you, you get into what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, because he was actually afraid. He says, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. From a pure devotion to Christ. Our thoughts will be led astray. Just like what happened to Eve. Eve was, did God really say this? Questioning what God was saying, what the shepherd was saying. The stranger comes in and starts putting doubt in the very mind of an, a believer. And this goes on to say, for if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we have proclaimed, or if you have received a different spirit from the one you have received, or if you accept a different gospel for the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. So you see that all of a sudden we're starting to get a different Jesus, a different gospel. And it, a lot of people think, oh, it's so clear as day. But no, no, it's actually very subtle. There's a slight drifting, and it gets more and more further away from the shepherd. Because every denomination has their picture of who Jesus is. Everybody. So then all of a sudden, we're firing arrows at each other Well, about, well, I don't believe this, and I don't believe that. And all of a sudden, the enemy is starting to divide God's very own kingdom based off of what they perceive as a picture of who Jesus looks like. Where it's like, well, let's go back to the word. Let's iron out all of these things. And let's go back to just the simplicity of the gospel, the pure devotion to Christ. So that our eye is single, therefore a whole body is filled with light. It is out of relationship, not religion. And in that place of relationship, the lifestyle changes, the mindset changes. All of those things fall right into place. And then the Holy Spirit starts illuminating the pages for you. It's like uh, there's a lot of commentaries out there, you know, and who's to say that the people that are writing those commentaries are correct? And, and that's a scary thing because now all of a sudden, let's say this, this commentary is wrong about one thing or another thing. Well, what if he's wrong about everything? That's why, to me, I've, I've hit a point where I, I used to have literally bookshelves of commentaries, of uh, things of that nature. And the Lord's like, why don't you go to the Holy Spirit, the one who wrote the book, the author? Why don't you go to him? Why would you want to go to anyone else? And I had to think about that. And I'm like, oh my goodness, you are, you're right, Lord. And then I repented, changed the way I thought, and repented from, from walking down was a very um, slippery slope, to say the least. And uh, that's why it's so important. You know, you mentioned Romans 12 too, 
um, how important it is to renew the mind. And I can't stress that enough um, because there are certain things that can definitely lead to the enemy building a stronghold in your mind, in your life. And I mean, the enemy knows scripture. The enemy can use scripture to twist things to get... Jesus was... uh, Jesus was tempted by the devil, and the devil was using Scripture. And it's so important that that's what the whole rebuilding of the walls, that first chapter that was written in this book, was about, is rebuilding the walls so that you're able then to hear the shepherd's voice, to filter that voice, to then keep renewing your mind, growing in relationship with the Father, in order to bring God's government, God's kingdom, here on earth as is in heaven, um, I really feel like it's one of those things that we need to train ourselves in uh, because honestly, if we're sitting in front of the television for more than three or four hours, that's the world. And we are to have a pure devotion to Christ and we are to uh, not be conformed by the world, by the TV, by the way that man thinks. We're to be conformed by the way God thinks. And it's clearly evident when you start walking this path and it is a very narrow path that you start seeing the differences in how people react to certain things. And the goal is that Christians think completely different and they function completely different. And they are rejoicing through every trial in their life, which is the opposite, which is the opposite of how the world, the world will grumble, will complain, will be in fear will be walking in disobedience and would condone the disobedience and cheer on the disobedience where the Christian will look completely different and will act differently, think differently, react differently. And there will be a fragrance of heaven, a fragrance of Christ that comes out that people will be drawn to because they are the light of the world. Wow. Wow, that's really good. And I appreciate what you had mentioned earlier about doing a work for God. I can relate to that as well. I look back in my life and I see so many ministries that I started and Bible studies that I began. And looking, even at the time, I knew they were like unfruitful was the word that you used. And I would have to use that same word. It reminds me of Hebrews 6 that we need to repent from dead works. That word, dead works, those are works that we're doing that God did not assign for us. They might be a good work, but if they're not what God decided needed doing, but we're putting our effort into that, it's a dead work. And it brings me also, that same verse shoots me to Ephesians 2, 9 and 10. It says, we are his workmanship created in Jesus Christ for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I submit to you, Adam, that if you were to ask the majority of Christians, what is the work prepared beforehand, they should walk in them, the response would be, well, just to get saved and to, you know, grow in my faith. What this work is is telling us is that God has a specific work for every person individually to accomplish during his time and his sojourn here on earth. And 
I doubt very many believers know specifically what work God had ordained for them to walk in. And that's where this renewed mind and this time in the oracle come into play. We can cleanse our minds from faulty belief systems, erroneous belief systems, that would keep us derailed and detracted from that which God originally ordained for us to become and to walk in. Another scripture verse, in addition to Romans 12, 2, that we go into in the book, and I am going to touch on this. We don't usually go into a lot of the verses that's in the book. I'm assuming if you're on this podcast, most likely you're reading the book, and this is an adjunct to that, so we don't want to do too much repeating. But this bears a second look. It's 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of fortresses or strongholds. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And what I'd like to go into a little bit is this is a very common scripture and a lot of people have committed to the memory and the basic understanding of this is taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. They plug it into the scripture that says, finally, brethren, whatever is right, whatever is true, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's anything excellent or anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. So they take every thought captive to dwell on whatever is lovely, whatever is good, whatever. These these kinds of things, but how many people have really got into the dictionary and looked up what these words are saying because it's a game changer. This is not about believers taking a good mind and taking every thought in this good mind captive that doesn't line up to being bright and lovely and pure, but rather if we look into these words, we see that The fortress um, goes on to say that the weapons of our warfare are not calm but mighty, for the pulling down of fortresses are strongholds. A fortress is any argument in which you trust. This is when believers go back and forth in the debating. You know, I believe this. Well, I believe that. Well, this then is your fortress. This is your fortress, right? Then, because you're trusting in this. This is the argument that you're going to trust in. Now, get what, what, get what this is saying. We're destroying these, okay? And speculation. A speculation is the thought that precedes or determines our behavior. Because we believe this, this fortress, this argument, this is going to dictate and determine what we do. And then it goes on to say the lofty thing where we are destroying these speculations and every lofty thing. This lofty thing, these are the biblical definitions. The first century reader of these, these letters would have understood the import of what these words were communicating. And we skim over them and we give them a cursory nod and move on. And this will be to our destruction. For a lack of knowledge and understanding, we're ruined. We go on. A lofty thing is a belief that we hold as holy. This is biblical. This is scriptural. This is what God says. This is what God believes. 
So this is what a lofty thing is. It's a belief that we hold as holy, but this is your definition, is rather a tower, a fortress built up by the enemy that is in opposition to God and in agreement with Satan. That's what this Bible verse is all about. This verse, Adam, can actually accurately be read thus. Let's plug in our definition. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are divinely powerful for the destruction of the argument that we trust, for the destruction of that argument. We are destroying the thoughts that proceed and determine our behavior. We are destroying every belief that we hold as holy, but is in fact built up by the enemy that is in agreement with Satan and against the knowledge of God. These are the thoughts that we're taking captive to the obedience of Christ which is why repentance is so foundational. This whole scripture is all about repentance. It's changing our mind, recognizing through the scriptures wrong beliefs that we think are right. It's a wrong belief in our mind, and we hang a little sign over this wrong belief, this deception from Satan, and we hang a little sign over it in our little brain that says, Holy unto the Lord, and we will fight to the death to maintain this belief system that serves Satan the whole time, calling it a ministry to God. That's what this Bible verse is saying. So once again, the lesson learned is one that will bring salvation or freedom from the molestation of our enemy. The call to repentance, if obeyed, will, as obedience to his word always does, rebuild the walls, and bring protection. But this is not the primary purpose of repentance, as we've seen in those scriptures in, in Mark and Matthew. When we defeat the stronghold of Satan that have a foothold in our mind or in our thinking, then the kingdom of God can be made manifest in our lives. Remember, God may have our heart, but if Satan has our mind, then he can counteract every move God wants to make in our lives with his deception. So, and also, I just like to caution um, that um, as believers, we think of repentance, again, this is a reiteration of what you've already said, and I, I want to repeat it. We think of repentance as in a very narrow sense that it's just being sorry for repenting of sin. However, there's just so much more to that, as you've just shown. So as believers, you know, it is imperative that we grow up in our intimacy with God, we spend time alone with him, and we ask him, Lord, what do I need to repent of? What is in my brain that I need to change my mind on? Then, as he reveals, we obey. And that is the rebuilding of the wall. As we obey, we make ready the way of the Lord, Matthew 3, 2. We make his path straight. And in so doing, we position ourselves such that the kingdom of God is made manifest truly. We repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. No, that's uh that's really really good, and um you know just to piggyback off that um I mean some of my life experiences that I've had, I literally had the Lord say, "Be still, 
and know me. Be still and know me. And that's the only thing I had for about three years straight. Because there I was, out doing ministry, out doing all these things for the Lord, but not with him. And he kept bringing me back to his feet. It was like a Mary versus Martha transformation. I was Martha, and then I got trans transferred into Mary, or uh, yeah, transformed, transfigured into Mary at the feet of Jesus. Because we are told to keep every thought captive, every thought, any thought outside of a thought of God is the enemy, is the old way of thinking. And we are to put that way to death. And in doing so, in doing so, we will start seeing just the spirit more freely be able to move in our lives. I know as far as the enemy goes, the enemy used scripture uh, and Paul's thorn. And literally the, the enemy whispered into my ear, um, you know, I had an incurable disease and the enemy was like, this is your thorn. My grace is sufficient for you. And I just remember bawling. Now, granted, I wasn't, I was early in my walk and but something didn't sit well with me when I heard that. I'm like, no, I see so many evidences of what Jesus did, specifically the evidence of him on the whipping post and what he did by his wounds were healed. And then all of a sudden I started listening to the shepherd and I, that stronghold that was in my life thinking, well, this is my thorn, which there's so many people that I meet that that's what they say. And then I, expound on that scripture in context, because that's where the Lord brought me to. In context, you start actually realizing what the thorn actually is. And then all of a sudden, I'm starting to see victory in these people's lives. But more importantly, it was in my own at first. And then I was healed of an incurable disease that the enemy whispered was a thorn. And it's so important to be still and know him in fear and in reverence, in holy fear and reverence, because of the fear of the Lord brings the wisdom. It's those who fear the Lord. And I can't explain it. There's so many times when I've seen someone come to me and they'll be like, you know, this is, this is my thorn. And I'm like, okay, well, and then I walk them through that verse. And then I'm like, let me lay hands and I'm going to pray for you. And they get healed. Even when I was a younger Christian, I didn't even believe in healing. I didn't even believe this existed today. And that was a stronghold that the Lord removed. That was a theology that the Lord removed. Because as he is, so am I in this world. So are all Christians. As he is, so are we in this world. So when the enemy looks at us, he, they see Jesus. Because in the spirit, that's who I am. That's who you are, Debbie. And it's so amazing because then all it is is Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus is the only way, and he is the only way we should be living and functioning. But we all do that at his feet because Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. His eyes never left the Father, never left the kingdom. And he only said what the Holy Spirit was telling him. 
So now you've got him doing and speaking only what the Father wanted. So yes, there's a lot of ministries out there that you always go back and like, Lord, if I'm going to start a ministry, I, I want to make sure that you're the one who starts it. You're the one who moves, and I will be obedient to that. But there are things in your life that may need to get taken care of first. And I say that just speaking from experience. So this is in my opinion, okay? And I say that because I know specifically in my life where the Lord would kept saying, you need to sell your golf clubs. Now, I'm a bit, I was a big-time golfer. Love golf. Golf coach, all that stuff. You know, tried to get onto the U.S. Open qualifier. Failed, but still, I tried. And um, what it was said was, you need to sell your golf clubs. And it took two years for me to do this. And at that time, I felt so lost. And he's waiting for me. He's like, all you need to do is sell your golf clubs. Every morning, woke up, sell your golf clubs. Middle of the day, sell your golf clubs. Reading his scripture, his word, you need to sell your golf clubs. And then finally, I'm like, I'm going to be obedient to you. Because what was happening was my walls started getting torn down because I was holding on to something that God told me to get rid of. Are we willing to deny ourselves? Are we willing to turn from this world and just have our eyes fixated on him and him alone? Because we, I'll finish with this is in James uh, chapter 1, verses 5 to 8. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. And it will be given to him. Now think of that. It will be given. If you ask the Lord for his wisdom, this is for godly wisdom, he's going to give it to you. But the main thing here, if we get to verse 6, but let him ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. This is so important because here it goes back to Romans 12 too. We need to know the will of God. If I'm like, well, Lord, if it's your will, I'd like more wisdom. That's acting not in faith. That is in doubt and disbelief. You then do not know the will of God and what he wants for your life. So that means you need to keep searching the scriptures and believing the promises. And in that place, you will then get more revelation of who he is so that when you get into a situation, you will react like he reacts without doubting, and you will know the very will of the Lord and fulfill that will out. And lastly, lastly, there are times when, yes, the enemy is going to go after you, but it's in that place of rejoicing. It's in that place of rejoicing that the enemy cannot touch you because you're in him. You're rejoicing in him. He is your everything because he is your only and your eyes are fixated on him. So instead of when you get into a situation, for instance, let's say the storm with the, the disciples, they were in a storm. What was Jesus doing? Sleeping in a huge storm. How can this be? Because he was at perfect peace. The disciples, on the other hand, now these were people that were not Holy Spirit empowered yet. 
They were not even born again yet. And they were acting out of fear. They, they were reacting because they were from the world. They were reacting like how all the world reacts. Save us, save us. And then sure enough, he out of the peace that was in him, he brings peace to the storm. And that's what we can do. We can bring peace to the storms in our life, to the trials in our life by rejoicing, by being in the very presence of the Lord. And people will gravitate towards that. What what normally happens in a Christian's walk is when they face adversity, they start grumbling. Even a sigh can be seen as not rejoicing in him. Oh, another Monday. That is opposite of how you should be reacting. We never heard that come out of Jesus's mouth. That means it should never come out of our mouth. We need to believe what Scripture says of who we are and where we are positioned now because we are to bring down the very government of God, the kingdom of God down on earth as it is in heaven. And that mindset is so key. So we aren't double-minded. And I can't stress that enough as far as when we keep moving forward in this book, uh, the importance of a renewed mind, a transfigured mind, a transformed mind. Because it's the only way by us resting in him and in his way of thinking that we will see victory in our lives. And it's, uh, and that's basically it. Uh, that I have on this. And uh, Debbie, do you want to uh, close us with anything? Any remarks? No, that's really good. I appreciate everything you've shared. It's a, it's an, a great reminder. It really is. Uh, so uh, next week or uh, for the next uh, episode that we have going on, we're going to be focusing on the Holy Spirit. So important. He is the only person on this earth right now is the Holy Spirit. And I can tell you, honestly, he is the most peaceful person, the kindest person, the most gentle person, and the most um, encouraging person I have ever met. And we're going to be diving into the person of the Holy Spirit next week. Thank you so much, Debbie, for joining us, and I look forward to speaking to you um, next time. Thank you, Adam. <laughs>